This is Kenya Alonso with Generation Justice, and I'm speaking with Ron Solomon of Solomon Business Development and Strategy. Welcome to Generation Justice. Thank you, Kenya. It's an honor to be here to talk with you, share a little bit about my life with you. All right, thank you. Ron, could you please tell us more about yourself? Sure. Um, you know, given my uh, age now and experience, uh, I have a, a lot to tell, but I'll try to just kind of give you a bio version. I am from the uh, Pueblo of Laguna, where I'm a member. And one quarter of me, according to uh, blood quantum values, uh, it would indicate to people that I'm a one quarter Zuni. And so I often illustrate that by drawing a pie on a sheet of paper and saying this is, this is kind of who I am and where I come from. I uh, was born in Fort Defiance, Arizona. I spent the first five years of my life in Gallup, New Mexico, with my grandfolks and my mom. Dad was in the Korean War for those years, so uh, I didn't know him for the first three years of my life until he came home. I had one sister. She's uh, since deceased, uh, predeceased me. And uh, I have uh, a wife and two children. Uh, my children are both uh, young professionals, and they uh, live in different parts of the country. Uh, my daughter lives in Prescott, Arizona, and my son uh, lives here in Albuquerque. That's kind of the quick bio, you know, of you know who I am in terms of my my uh, family uh, as it currently exists. And there's a lot of different things I could say, but I think those are probably pertinent to you know trying to describe to anyone that's listening, you know, who I am. How do you define social justice? What were some of the earliest experiences working towards equity, indigenous rights, or social justice? And how old were you? Mm-hmm. Well, my my experience, you know, with uh, hearing about uh, inequities and inequality uh, really came from the uh, grandparents that I had, especially my grandfathers who served on tribal council uh, for the Pueblo of Laguna. And my Zuni grandfather, who married into the Pueblo, was uh, governor uh, of the Pueblo at one time in uh, 1958. And uh, my other granddad served on the council, too, uh, when he returned from being off the reservation and working with the Santa Fe Railroad and having his own business in Gallup. Um, So I heard a lot about the kinds of uh, inequities and uh, lack of opportunities that people have, basically a situation wherein uh, wealth was not being shared equally, you know, by the uh, Native population that uh, we were a part of. And then more so as they talked about different issues that were facing our people, you know, I discovered that those same issues, you know, really faced all Native people here in the United States. So those were my, you know, those are really my childhood experiences, having uh, grandfathers that were really invested in our communities and that had experienced things uh, that they felt needed to be tended to. So, and they never turned to me and said, and you will have to deal with this, you know. But as time went along, the uh, more educated I became, the more interested, as they would have said, uh, interested I became in uh, what being 
uh, Native American in uh, their day and age uh, was about uh, the more kind of invested I got in uh, kind of tuning myself into uh, advocacy and to becoming an advocate for our people. You know, it just seemed like it was pervasive, you know, from, uh, you know, the way that people were treated at restaurants to the way that we were uh, treated by the uh, state and federal governments and sometimes local governments. Uh, it's kind of uh, depressing, and uh, you you could think, well, this is the way it's always going to be, or you can it raises your hackles no matter what age you are, but particularly as a younger person, it raised my hackles, and basically it wasn't fair. Yeah, I used to be somebody that uh, would always ask why. Why are we being treated this way? And uh, so that's kind of where my earlier kind of exposure was to inequity and exclusion. Could you talk to us a little bit about informed decision-making and how we achieve that? I think it's up to individuals that are in responsible positions, key leaders, uh, be it a, uh, a tribal council, city council member, a member of Congress, maybe a member of the state legislature, to really uh, try to learn what the backdrop, what the historical context is of an issue that they might be dealing with uh, when legislation or public policy changes are being considered. And uh, I think it's, you know, that comes from basic reading. Uh, nowadays, uh, there's no excuse uh, for anybody to be walking around ignorant or to be uh, making decisions without having read something on the issues or the historical backdrop for issues, especially with regard to Native Americans. You think about what motivates people to do the right thing and right now, the one thing that's being uh, discussed quite a bit but in, in the church is repudiation of the doctrine of discovery. And that has uh, many different implications, you know, going back to the Roman Catholic faith and the papal bulls that basically were edicts from the popes. And those, uh, those edicts basically uh, allowed people or gave them basically a license to kill uh, people that were not of uh, Christian beliefs and to take their land. And so those kinds of things are, you know, they're readily available. It's a hard read, I mean, if you really invest yourself in looking at that. But uh, there are many people that are looking at that as a way to kind of retract maybe things that have gone on to extend apologies to the uh, Native populations, and then basically from that point on to discover ways in which uh, we can all live uh, together better and in more harmony, having that understanding. It's not like everything can be reversed, you know, because there are things that are historical fact now that can't be reversed. But uh, we can move forward uh, in unity in some cases or, or in situations where there's always going to be disagreements. You, know, you can just agree to disagree and move ahead and, and uh, you know, foster uh, different kinds of uh, public policies that really are for the benefit of everyone uh, for future purposes. I agree. I think we need to use the resources that we have to educate ourselves. So thank you. 
Now, why is it so important to have places like the Indian Public Culture Center, which are entirely dedicated to indigenous people? Those are, those are institutions that are vital to educating uh, Native and non-Native people about uh, who we are as indigenous Americans. And, uh, you know, the Institute of American Indian Arts, really the full legal name is the Institute of American Indian and Alaska Native Arts to include our brothers and sisters up in Alaska. And uh, so that's that institution is really a foundational institution in terms of providing uh, the education from a historical perspective and uh, modern technology that they have there, uh, assisting people to really uh, gain an overall understanding of who they are as uh, as uh, Native people, and then preparing them to you know actively be part of the. Uh, job market in several different venues. You know, take film, which is very big now. That institution, you know, has uh, basically come a long way in providing that kind of education and background for many individuals. And then basic art, you know, when you think of, you know, everything from pottery to oil to acrylics, sculpture, all of that, that provides a uh, unique way in which people can express their creativity, reflect the culture, customs, and traditions in many ways in pieces that they produce that are valued by people worldwide. It really is a kind of an orientation center for people that are visiting our state and our region in terms of trying to understand who the Pueblo Indian and Athabascan uh, peoples are that uh, reside here. You know, they tell our story. They inform people in a very gentle way. Uh, They have archives. They have libraries. They have uh, videos nowadays that really identify to individuals that really want to learn about who we are as people. And then it makes their visits to these communities uh, in accordance with the protocols that we have because, as we know, people can't just— you know, go to a, go to somebody's home. Uh, it'd be like just going to anybody else's home here in the city or in a town, and just saying, "Hey, I'm here." You know, I'm I'm gonna. I want to enjoy some uh, good, some of your good chili and stuff like that. That that kind of protocol is really not acceptable. Although our people are so hospitable, they'd probably say, "Well, yeah, sure, come on in." You know, we'll uh, we'll we'll warm up some chili for you, even though it's not our feast day, and accommodate them. But uh, the Indian Pueblo Cultural Center, where I spent uh, 12 years of my life, uh, uh, was uh, it was a dream of our Pueblo leadership. I saw it uh, under construction and completed in 1976. And as I was sitting across the street uh, from it in a whole different, working on a whole different project, I never knew that I'd actually be responsible for it at some point in time as the CEO. And so it was a, it's been an interesting uh, path and to reflect upon the property that we sit on, which was the Albuquerque Indian School and all of the relatives and friends and family that we had uh, that were educated there that, uh, you know, were superstars there or that struggled there or that died there. Uh, I think every one of us that has been in the leadership role there, be it on the board of directors or as a president and CEO, you know, we respect that legacy there of our people, our native people, 
and uh, that's why it's being carefully developed now. Thank you. Yeah, I remember when I was a little kid and I went to the cultural center for the first time and I remember thinking, wow, my cheeks kind of look like theirs or just sitting, just being with other kids and having them be like, is that what you are? And I'm, that's where I really learned like what it's like to be a Native American, to be Pueblo. Mm-hmm. So thank you for all your work that you've done there too. Oh, sure. It was my pleasure and my honor. Who inspires you? There are a lot of people that inspire me. You know, you inspire me. When I think of a person, a young Native woman being in the media and going through the process that we're involved in today, that inspires me. Uh, But, you know, you have the typical figures uh, that uh, have inspired me. You know, definitely my granddad's and my grandmothers. Those were the biggest inspirations for me in, in different ways. My grandfather from Zuni, my grandmothers from Laguna, they were all classmates from the class of like about 1917 or 18 at the Albuquerque Indian School. The three of them were really, at the time, highly educated. You know, they graduated from high school. And that was probably, you know, the 10th grade at the time that they graduated. But the three of them were highly educated. My other granddad um, uh, that married uh, my uh, grandmother, Marie, he was basically self-educated. He was an individual that had grown up working very hard, didn't didn't finish uh, elementary school, didn't go to junior high or high school, college, or anything like that. But he was one of the most innately smart and intelligent individuals. And he's the one that actually became a businessman in Gallup, New Mexico, and uh, had his own saddle shop there. And a lot of people you know, still remember that. They remember him, Jim Poncho. And my other granddad was uh, Jim Solomon. And uh, you know, they're both known for different attributes that they had. Uh, so I learned a lot from them. And like I mentioned earlier, um, I learned about the kind of challenges that they faced uh, being in tribal government. And my granddad, Jim Poncho, uh, one time drew this caricature he drew a lot of caricatures because that's how he spent his time in council. It looked like he was taking notes, but he was actually drawing these caricatures and cartoons in some cases of the presenters. So we had a person from, I guess at one time, um, BIA, like a superintendent, uh, come in. And uh, I guess he was just, you know, my granddad saw through the presentation and uh, basically was trying to depict the whole thing. And so he depicted the uh, BIA superintendent on a mule that was bucking, and then with the with the Laguna people sort of like being the chickens that were running away from this bucking mule, and so it and uh, so it it was uh, crazy because uh, that's kind of sort of the way that I learned how they saw, uh, you know, the individuals that were responsible from the, for them that were exercising the trust relationship on behalf of the federal government toward our people, and then effectively for other people, or ineffectively for other people. Uh, so those those two individuals probably inspired me the most. Thank you for sharing like all those stories. It's so great <laughs> just to that. hear like who inspires you. <laughs> so that's great. Thank you. Sure. What advice do you have for young people today? Young people, I think, uh, as we uh, older Native Americans or older people, you know, just 
when we look at you, we cherish you. We cherish you, you know, and hold you in high esteem. And we want you to get prepared for the execution of your own life. You know, what kinds of core values do you bring? I think if you don't know what your core values are, or if you're a tribal person, explore that with your family or with uh, relatives that can talk to you about what the core values are of your tribal community. And then also just allow yourself to make mistakes. You know, really don't be so hard on yourselves because we all went through that process and there is always, there's somebody around that says, you know, look, you know, same sort of thing. You just got to give yourself some leeway, you know, give yourself a break. You know, don't come down on yourself to the point where you just are pouring cement around your feet and you can't move. You know, you've got to just give yourself a break and get over it. You know, whether it's it's something that's academic, whether it's a personal relationship, uh, just keep moving. Keep moving. Value yourself. Value what you have to offer to the world. And uh, somewhere along the line, people or an individual will value it and will let you know that. You know, whether it's by virtue of uh, offering you a good job or position uh, or offer you their hand and to be your partner for a life or for some period of time. Uh, I think those are all all key things uh, that I would want to convey to any uh, young person out there. Thank you. Is there anything else that you would like to add? That's always a dangerous question for Ron Solomon, <laughs> as my friends would say, because there's, there's so much to share. You know, and I'm really a storyteller, too, as you probably can tell. But uh, one of the things that I would just like to share is that for me, there is nothing like being a member of a tribe, a larger family. There is really nothing like that. You know, especially in some of our cases where, you know, your affiliations or our affiliations go in two or three different directions, two or three different tribes. So that is just, a, for me, it's, it's one of the best gifts that I could have ever received is to be a member of different tribal groups, you know, when it gets right down to it. Because there's such comfort in that that uh, other people, you know, are not privileged to have. And we have to value that so much. When I think of people that I need to advocate for, that's my core group, Laguna, Zuni. And because of all my other relatives, then it goes out to Hopi, to Navajo Nation, Hikaria, Mescalero. You know, so when, when people are asking, well, you know, who do you really represent? And basically, it's like all of Native America after a while. Because of all the acquaintances that I have now across the country, Iroquois Confederacy, all the way up to Snoqualmie, Washington, uh, down to San Diego, the tribes there, you know, uh, the the acquaintances that I have, things are happening, and there's an opportunity to advocate, uh, you know, on their behalf. I will, because it's you know that's the even larger family that I have now is all my acquaintances across the country. Thank you. Ron, so much for taking the time to come here today. And I'm just, I feel really honored and I feel like it was truly a privilege to sit here with you and just talk with you because, like you said, you are a storyteller and you tell everything so openly and honestly that I really appreciate it. I just want to say thank you. You're most welcome.
This is Kenya Alonso with Generation Justice.